back again one day for us. I'm thankful that in the meantime that he still takes a care of every hurt, every pain, dries every tear, mends every broken heart. If you're glad today, if you're glad today for the blood of Jesus and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, why don't you just put those hands together and just thank the Lord for that. I ask you to reach for your Bibles today and stand with me. Please, I appreciate this choir this morning and Pastor Tony, these musicians and these singers today leading us into the presence of the Lord. I'm going to invite you to turn with me today to the New Testament book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 18. This morning I want you to go there and the verses will be coming up for you behind me. I want to read just the first um, two verses of this particular story that Jesus is going to talk about at the end of the chapter. I want to read verses 21 and 22. This is a parable that Jesus uses, an illustrated story that he uses to talk about forgiveness and how to handle offense how to overcome hurt in our lives. I want to use these two verses today, verses 21 and 22. And then as we make our way through this message today, I will come to the end of this and take the story that follows these verses and tie it all together. I'm reading from the New King James Version. And here's what the Bible says. Then Peter came to the Lord, and he said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? It's a question Peter asked. That was common in that day, and the teaching was that it was three times. You should forgive a man three times. So Peter here is trying to flex his spiritual muscles. So instead of three, he's going to double it and add one. And he says, up to seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Now, if you're stopping to calculate, and it's 490, by the way. If you're stopping to calculate, you've completely missed the point. Because Jesus is teaching right here that there should never be a limit to the forgiveness that we extend to people who need it. I'm not interested this morning in a shout, so to speak. I'm not interested in getting, I'm never interested in getting you worked up into a frenzy or into a dither and making you just feel good. But I just want to communicate today. I want to preach, but I want to communicate today. 
just talk to you about some things the Lord's been dealing with my heart about. Could we pray before we're seated one more time? And then I'll let you be seated and we'll, we'll go into this together. Father, thank you today for your word. Thank you for the truth of scripture. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that prepares the way, God, and the atmosphere of worship that prepares the ground of our hearts, God, to receive what you want to say to us today. God, I'm just asking for these next few moments that you would give us a revelation of the Word of God. Help us to understand exactly what you're trying to say. And may you work in people's hearts and lives in ways, God, that, that we cannot, that no man could ever hope to do. Holy Spirit, you do your work today. And we lean on you and we trust you to let the Word do its work. And we honor you for it in Jesus' name. The church said amen. God bless you today. You can be seated. Pastor Tony, thank you. Let me begin this morning by reading to you this story that I came across some time ago. It says that each week a man by the name of Kevin Tunnel was required to mail a dollar to a family that he would rather forget. They sued him for $1.5 million but settled for $936 to be paid a dollar at a time. The family expected the payment each Friday so that Tunnel wouldn't forget what happened on the first Friday of 1982. That's the day that their daughter was killed. Tunnel was convicted of manslaughter and drunken driving. He was 17 and she was 18. Tunnel served a court sentence. He also spent seven years campaigning against drunk driving, six years more than his sentence required. But he kept forgetting to send the dollar. The weekly restitution was to last until the year 2000. 18 years he would have to pay that dollar. Tunnel made the check out to the victim, mailed it to her family, and the money was deposited into a scholarship fund. The family took him to court four times for failure to comply. And after one appearance, Tunnel actually spent 30 days in jail for not sending the dollar. He insisted that he was not defying the order, but rather was haunted by the girl's death and tormented by the reminders. He offered the family two boxes of checks, covering the payments until the year 2001, one more year than required. They refused. It wasn't money they were seeking, but it was penance. And here's what the mother said. She said, we, we, during the midst of what was going on, we want to receive the check every week on time. And he must understand we're going to pursue this until August of the year 2000. We will go back to court every month if we have to. The author that shared this story goes on and he writes this. He said, few would question the anger of the family. Only the naive would think it fair to leave the guilty unpunished. He said, but I do have one concern. It's 936 payments enough. Not for Tunnel to sin, mind you, but for that family to demand. When they receive that final payment, he said, will they be at peace? In August of 2000, will that family have been able to put the matter to rest? Is 18 years worth of restitution sufficient? 
Will 196 months worth of remorse be adequate? And he goes on and says, how much is enough? Were you in the family and were tunnel your target? How many payments would you require? He said, better state it. How many payments do you require? He concludes with this little paragraph. No one, he said, I repeat, no one makes it through life free of injury. Someone, somewhere has hurt you. Like the 18-year-old, you've been a victim. She died because someone drank too much, and part of you has died because someone spoke too much, demanded too much, or neglected too much. I want to take a few moments today, and I want to talk about how to activate forgiveness in your life. Prior to every level of growth individually and even as a church, there will come times of offense. And oftentimes those offenses will come in the way of a test that prove and prepare us for the next level of maturity that God is leading us into. Those offenses can become our tombstone or they can become our stepping stone into the grace of God. I once heard someone say that trouble in life, it's not optional, but misery is. And how you respond to an offense and how you respond to hurt and pain in your life determines the level of misery you live at or don't live at. Quite possibly one of the greatest examples in all of the Scripture in overcoming offenses is that Old Testament character that we know by the name of Joseph, the dreamer boy, the boy with the coat of many colors, the favorite of his father. And if we know just a little bit of Scripture, we understand that Joseph had great dreams in his heart. And Joseph had been shown by God that he was going to occupy a certain position, a place of prominence one day, but in his youthfulness and in his zeal and his immaturity, he decided to tell everything that he knew that God had showed him. And his brothers resented him. His brothers hated him, not just because of his dreams, but because of the fact that Joseph's father, Jacob, had a special affinity for him. And his father put together this wonderful garment, this coat of many colors, and draped it over that boy that just was a tangible physical sign that he had a love for Joseph unlike he had for his other sons, right, wrong, or indifferent. Joseph was the favorite of his father. And his dad sends him out one day to check on his brothers who are tending the sheep. As Joseph gets close enough for them to spot him, they say, here comes that dreamer boy who has told us that one day he's going to rule over us and he's going to have a certain place of prominence over us. 
So they strip him of that coat. They throw him into a pit, the Bible says, that was empty and there was no water in it. And then the Bible says they sat down and they ate. While their own flesh and blood has been stripped and thrown into a deep, dark pit. And then while they're eating, this band of what the Bible calls Ishmaelite traitors comes by. They pick him up out of that pit. They sell that boy. They sell their own brother to this band of traitors. And Joseph ends up in Potiphar's house. I don't want to go through the whole story, but eventually he's thrown into prison because of a lie that Potiphar's wife told. And the, the story goes on and on. But here's the point. Joseph was offended greatly by his own brothers. Joseph was sold into slavery by his own flesh and blood. Joseph was hurt and had much pain in his life because of what his own family did to him. But if you read through the Scripture and you hear the verbiage that Joseph uses and the language that he uses, he knew how to overcome an offense in his life. And much like Joseph, you and I have the challenge to keep our hearts free from bitterness and anger and resentment and hate. We must not allow offenses to dominate our lives. Jesus said in John 16 and 33 that in this world you're going to have tribulation. But be of good cheer, he said, I have overcome the world. Here's what you need to know this morning. Offenses are going to come in your life. People are going to hurt you. People are going to wound you. People are going to betray you. People are going to take advantage of you. People are going to lie on you. People are going to spread slander about you. They're going to start rumors about you. It's part of life. It's going to happen. And I don't mean to be a bearer of bad news today. I don't mean to be a, a messenger of gloom and doom and despair. But offenses are going to come. But suffering does not have to be a negative thing. Suffering can be a perfecting thing that God uses in our lives. Reminded of that prayer that Jesus taught his disciples that day. When they looked at him and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus lays out for them what we call the model prayer, and many of us know it as the Lord's Prayer, and it's chock full of such wonderful, powerful truth. He says, when you pray, I want you to pray in this way. Our Father who is in heaven. Hallowed be thy name, which means your name is holy. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Now watch this. And forgive us our trespasses. As we forgive those who trespass against us. 
And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It's almost as if when Jesus gets to this part of forgiveness, it's almost as if he overemphasizes this point. As if to say to his disciples, if you forget everything else, don't forget this part. Forgive those who have trespassed against you. This is exactly the response I was expecting and even hoping for. I want you to let this marinate today. I want to ask a question. I want complete transparency and honesty here. Who in this building today, at some point in your life, you have been offended, hurt, or betrayed by someone along the way? Would you just raise your hand? And if you didn't raise your hand, I just want to let you know, hang on, because it's coming at some point. And there are three types of offense that we deal with in life. First of all, there's something that I call a direct offense. That's when someone simply does something to you that hurts you and wounds you. It's direct. There's also an offense that I call an an indirect, and that's when you learn through someone else about another person's desire or plan to hurt you or wound you. And then there's something I call self-inflicted offenses. And self-inflicted offenses, you can't blame anybody else but yourself. If I look through the Bible, David is a a great example of someone who had a lot of self-inflicted pain in his life. But if you read the, the New Testament verdict about David, God said that David was a man after his own heart. You know why that God could say that and why God would say that about David? Because David knew how to overcome Offenses. And I want to take the next few moments. I want to give you several ways to activate forgiveness in your life. Because here's the truth. You're not going to make it through life free from pain. You're not going to make it through life free from someone betraying you or hurting you, wounding you or offending you. And let's be honest today. That this church at times has been through some places in its life and in its history that have left you wounded and offended and hurt and feeling betrayed. It happens. And if we're not careful, the tendency for us is to, to harbor a grudge and to harbor bitterness and to harbor offense and to say to ourselves, I'll never forget what they've done, and I will never forgive what they've done. And we've been taught through the years that if we really forgive, that we also forget. And I just want to beg to differ today. That when somebody hurts you and wounds you, you will never, ever forget what they've done. 
So to forgive is not to forget, but when you really forgive somebody, you don't forget. But the attitude you take on when you recall what they've done, it changes when you really forgive someone. Number one, here's how you activate forgiveness in your life. Don't curse it. Listen, never disdain an offense as something that is unimportant or something that cannot work for your good. Let God use it to work for your good. Make it work for you. How do I do that, Pastor? You do it by asking God to let you get something out of it instead of God getting you out of it. Because the tendency in life is for us to always run away from pain. And it's to always run away from hurt and to run away from things that are difficult. But I'm telling you, God can use offenses in your life and God can use those broken places and God can use those betrayals in your life to teach you something that helps you down the road. Reminded of this Old Testament story in 2 Samuel 16, if you recall, when, when David's own son Absalom had tried to take the throne from his father. David, instead of fighting back and David, instead of standing up to him, he actually runs from his own son and flees from the kingdom there in Jerusalem. And while he's running away and he's got his men with him as he's going down the road, there is this man by the name of Shimei, the Bible says, 2 Samuel 16. And as David is coming down the road, the Bible said that Shimei starts to curse David. He starts throwing rocks at David. Go read the account, 2 Samuel 16, about the first 14 verses. He's kicking up dust, and he's saying, Here you are, O king, you ruthless, bloodthirsty, no good, violent man. It's your fault that the kingdom is going through what it's going through. And he is cursing, and he is cussing, and he's throwing rocks, and he's kicking up dust, and he's, he's calling the king names and pointing his finger at him. And one of David's servants says, King, listen, if you want me to, I'll go over right now, and I'll just take that guy's head off him. He should not talk to the king like that. Just give me the Okay. I'll take him out. I will sever his head off of his shoulders. And David said, no, leave him alone. Let him curse. Let him kick up dust. And let him throw rocks. It may be, it just may be that God has ordered him to do this. It may be that God has told him to do this to me. He said, leave him alone. He said, it may be that God will look upon my cursing and he will bring good out of it. And I want you to know today that God can look upon the betrayals of your life and God can look upon the offenses of your life and while you, listen, you may feel like it's not working for you. You may feel like it's terrible and it's horrible and there's nothing good that can come out of it. God might just look upon it and use it for your good and for his glory. Don't curse the offense. Number two, don't curse it. Number two, don't nurse it. Don't walk around 
all the time feeling sorry for yourself. Because I just want you to know there are people that have been through exactly what you have been through in your life. Now listen to me. Pain is inevitable. But here's what you have to understand. You are not the only person that has been through what you're going through. You're not the only person that has been through a messy, nasty divorce and your family is fragmented. Listen, we are not the only church that has been through a split. You're not the only person that has had somebody to lie on you and betray you. There are other people around you that have been through the very same thing. Why, Pastor? Because pain is inevitable. But here's what I know based on what the Bible tells me, according to Hebrews 4, that we have a high priest who is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He was in all points tempted as we were, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. If anybody understands what you've been through, the Lord Jesus himself knows and he understands. According to 2 Timothy 3 and 12, Paul said that all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Listen, I don't need a lot of help today, so I'm good. You can say amen, you can say oh me, you can sit there and keep staring. I'm, I'm fine. But I want to help you keep some things in perspective. Pastor, it feels like to me that you're, you're kind of downplaying what I've been through. I'm not. But when you look Across the landscape of our world, have we really been persecuted? Have we, has any of you had to die for the cause of Christ? Have any of us faced beheading? Have any of us had a gun put to our head and been dared to name the name of Christ or to deny the name of Christ? No, we have not. But there's going to come times in our lives that we do walk through things that are painful to us. The Bible tells us in Romans or Hebrews 5 and 8 that though he was the son of God, he, listen, he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. Don't feel sorry for yourself all the time. You walk around and your lips poked out and it's just horrible and terrible and you just won't believe how bad it is. I'm telling you, Jesus understands. You don't curse it. You don't nurse it. Listen, if you look into the, the life of David, when David was going through the hell that he went through, Saul was, Brother Stout, Saul was hunting him down, trying to find him so he could kill him. And David had a lot of stuff going on in his life, hiding in caves and in the wilderness, afraid that Saul was going to kill him. And David had 400 men, Brother Kenny Hancock, that hung out with him. And those 400 men, the Bible said, they came and they joined David. Here's what the Bible said about him. Everyone who was in debt, everyone who was in distress, 2 Samuel 22, or 1 Samuel 22 and 2, and everyone who was discontented joined themselves to David. You know why? Because misery loves company. And you've got one man running for his life, 
going through hell and 400 men that have the same mindset hook up with David and says, here we are. And you've got a bunch of men that are broke, busted, disgusted. They're in distress. They're discontent. And they all hang out together. And there's no doubt while they sat in that cave, they licked their wounds and said how bad and how horrible it is and how did we get in this spot. But when nobody else cares, I want to tell you today, Jesus cares about where you are. You don't curse it. You don't nurse it. Number three, you don't rehearse it. Here's the greatest temptation. I'm going to speak very candidly here the next few moments. Well, Pastor, I don't think I'm going to like it. Sorry. One of the greatest temptations that we have when we go through pain in our life is to tell every single person we come into contact with about how bad the offense was. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying here. You need to have a prayer partner or somebody that you can lean on, that you can rely on, that you can talk to, that can help you pray. But here's what happens to us. When we go through something, it becomes our identity. And every person we see, we rehearse and rehash over and over and over and over again what it was that happened and how bad it was and how my life is never going to be the same, how my life has come to a screeching halt and how terrible it is, and we rehearse that over and over and over again, never talking about the goodness and the faithfulness and the grace of God that has kept us where we are at this point in our lives. Oh, you're quiet today. It's okay. Because I'm going to be honest with you. And I know that, listen, there's a point in time we got to move on, and we're moving on. But this church has become known as, and it's been identified as, the church that went through the split and a preacher left took a bunch of folks with him. My colleagues still ask me about it. It's become an identity, so to speak. And here's what I say to him: How you doing, man? Doing okay? I, I know it was bad. I said, listen, we're doing all right. We're plugging along. We're taking a step, one step every single day. And God's been good to us. And God's been faithful to us. And God's been gracious to us. And we're not going to stay where we are. We've turned the page. We're writing a new chapter. It's a new day. We want to rehearse all the time. You know what happens? It becomes, it becomes our crutch, Pastor Tony. It becomes our crutch. And we talk to people. We tell people. And we lean on this thing. It becomes our identity. At some point, listen, we've got to make up our minds as an individual, as a church, that we're moving forward. It's not about what I've been through, but it's about what I'm going to. And God has a plan. And God has a purpose. And he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And if we don't talk to everybody else, we talk to ourselves. And when we talk to ourselves... We create these things in our minds that don't even really exist. Man, I'm preaching good today. And what, listen, because, it's, listen, really, at some point, I promise you, the people that you keep rehearsing everything to, they're tired of hearing it. Pastor, you seem kind of cold today. I'm just giving you truth now. 
You need that one person in your life. You need that one person that you can just talk to and lay it all out, but you don't have to tell every single person you come into contact with of how horrible and terrible and bad it is. And if nobody else will listen, we'll talk to ourselves. And we will convince ourselves of death. And we'll create this thing in our mind and we'll create this this scenario in our mind and become paranoid. Everybody's out to get me now. Nobody likes me. They're all out to hurt me and wound me and betray me and offend me. And we create this thing because we keep rehearsing it over and over again. Well, Pastor, what am I supposed to speak? What am I supposed to say? Listen, you don't have to keep going back all the time to what happened and what they did. What do I say, Pastor? Why don't you get a hold of the Word of God? Get it deep down in your soul. Let it start rolling out of your mouth and declare, this is what the Lord says about me. This is what God says about my future. I know it was bad. I know it hurt. I know I was betrayed. I know they lied about me, but that is not who I am. I am a chosen generation. I am a holy priesthood. I am a royal nation. I've been called out of darkness into a marvelous light. I'm a peculiar people. Confess the word of the Lord so you don't curse it. You don't nurse it. You don't rehearse it. You ready for this one? Oh, it's going to rhyme. You got to disperse it. Casting all your cares upon him because he careth for you. Cast thy burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain thee. Psalm 55, 22. He will never suffer the righteous to be moved. But here's what we do. We hold it tight. This is my offense. This is my hurt. This is what they did to me. And I'm going to keep it close because it gives me a, it gives me a, a, a conversation story and people look at me and say, oh, what's wrong with you? And i got to go back and rehearse everything that's ever gone on. But at some point, you've got to be willing to let it go and say, God, Listen, you were not created to be a beast of burden. You know what that means? God did not create your back to carry around all the burdens that you're trying to carry around. Isaiah 46 and 4, he said, I will carry you. Listen, you don't have to carry the hurt and the offense and the betrayal. Your back wasn't made strong enough to carry it, but his was. And when he carried the cross on his shoulders and he bore the weight of the world upon him, he can handle it, I promise. Oftentimes, we keep situations caged up in our hearts. We take them out long enough to beat them up and then put them back in again and just keep carrying them around. At some point, at some point, we've got to disperse it. We've got to let it go. We've got to give it to God and say, God, no more. It's not going to identify who I am. But listen, when you finally get to a point, you get tired of carrying it around, that's when you will finally let it go and let God have it. Listen, your problem becomes God's problem when you let it go and you give it to him.
Here's the last point. You don't curse it. You don't nurse it. You don't rehearse it. You got to disperse it. And here's the last thing you got to do. You got to let God reverse it. God will take it if you'll give it to him. And he will turn it around. And he will use it for his glory. Pastor Tony, come help me land this, please, sir. At some point in our lives, <clears throat> we, we have to be willing and we have to choose to use the offense as a stepping stone in our lives. A stepping stone to what, Pastor? A stepping stone into the place that God has for us. God can make it work for your good. Do you understand that? God can make it work for your good. What did Joseph say? After everything he'd been through, what did he look at his brothers and say? You meant it for evil. Everything you did to me, everything you put me through, you meant it for evil. But God meant it for my good. You do understand that as great as the plan is that God has for your life, the enemy has a plan too to destroy you. And he will use betrayal and he will use bitterness and he'll use anger and he'll use pain, he'll use offenses, he'll use all of that stuff to drag you down and to render you ineffective and useless for God. That brings me back to this text that I read to you just a few moments ago. Jesus begins to unveil and unpack this story about forgiveness. And Peter walks up to him one day because he wants to know, Lord, how often should I forgive my brother if he sins against me? Now, the law says three times, but so, Lord, I'm going to go seven. I'm going to go double plus one. And Peter's flexing his spiritual muscles. The Lord says, no, Peter, not, not seven times. One, 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 one translation said 70 times seven in a day. A day? 490 times in a day? If somebody offends me or hurts me, I, I forgive them. That's what Jesus was saying. But that does not mean that that person that hurts you and wounds you, just because you forgive them, you don't let them into your life to be close with you and just, you just, well, it's okay, just keep, just keep hurting me and just keep taking advantage. I mean, that's not what Jesus meant there. And then he goes into this discourse about this servant who owed a king equivalent of $10 million. Had a debt that he owed, and the king came. The Bible said laid his hands on him and said, pay me everything that you owe me. And said, if you can, I'm going to take you, and I'm going to take your wife, I'm going to take your children, I'm going to sell them into slavery and pay off the debt. And the servant fell down and said, O king, 
I don't have the money, but if you'll please be patient with me and you'll just please have grace, I'll pay you everything that I owe you. The king forgave him the debt. And that servant walks out after having received that grace and finds a fellow servant who owes him equivalent to somewhere probably around $8,000. He's just been forgiven $10 million. He finds a fellow servant that owes him about $8,000, lays hands on him, says, pay me everything that you owe me. Falls down and says, have mercy, have grace, forgive me. I don't have it, but I'll get it to you. And he refused to do so. And he took that servant, took his family, and he threw him into prison. Some of the other servants saw what was going on. They went to the king and said, you're not going to believe what happened. This guy, you just forgave $10 million. He's laid hands on one of his fellow servants, thrown them into prison. They can't pay him back a few thousand dollars that he owes. Obviously, the king was furious. He brings that man in and says, how dare you? The grace that I extended, the mercy that I showed. He said, I'm no longer going to forgive your debt. The Bible said he was delivered to the torturers. Jesus gets down to the end of that and he said, so your heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive those who sin against you. And we read that story and we shake our head and we say we can't believe it, but how it typifies us, some of us, when we refuse to forgive people that have offended us or hurt us or wounded us. If you look into that story and you peer deeply into it to see the meaning, you're going to find out that the, that the mercy that we receive is con- or the forgiveness that we receive is connected to the forgiveness that we extend. Let me close with this story for you and I'm going to be done. On June the 8th, 1972, a little nine-year-old Vietnamese girl her clothes flaming from gasoline bombs fled the American led assault on her village of Trang Bang with her eyes screwed shut and her mouth opened wide in a scream of pain she became America's most remembered Vietnam wartime photo. There was a man, they say, by the name of John Plummer who had ordered, had ordered his men to shower that little girl whose name was Kim, to shower her village with chemical explosives. For years, he was haunted and he was tormented by the guilt that he carried from that. He said that in his sleep he would have these nightmares and that he could see the village, see the bombs exploding and he could hear the children, their screams of pain as their bodies were engulfed in flames. So haunted he was, so tormented he was that it was his order that had maimed that village and those children 
couldn't shake it, couldn't get it out of his mind that he ran to women and alcohol as his escape. About 20 years after that bombing, they said Officer Plummer found the Lord. Said that he surrendered his heart to Christ. And when he did, he he experienced that that power of God that, that frees us from guilt and regret. But there were still some scars, they said, that that he had that was connected to that event. Connected to those thick white scars that ran down the neck and the back and the arms of that of that little girl. Six years after he gave his heart to God, he he knew that somehow he needed to find that little girl who was now grown. He found out that she was making a visit to the States. And he looked her up. She is now 33. He's 49 at the time. And as they stood on that busy sidewalk, people everywhere, there was no photographer to capture this moment like he did earlier, some 26 years earlier. As they stood there, an officer plumber explained to this woman who he was. And that it was his orders that had directed the bombing. In Officer Plummer's words, he said that he just began to weep and to sob. And that as she opened her arms, he fell into her arms and she embraced him. He said that he just sobbed uncontrollably. And he said, I'm sorry. I'm just so sorry. Officer Plummer said that as he said that to her and she embraced him, that that she patted his back and said, it's okay. I forgive. I forgive. I'm convinced today that there are people in this place that have been wounded and you've been hurt and you've been betrayed. And maybe it's things that happened years and years ago. And to this day in your heart, you're still holding something. And we need to take on the same mentality of this Vietnamese woman that said, it's okay, I forgive. And Paul tells us in Ephesians 4 and 32 to be kind and tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Why don't you just stand with me, please, this morning. to bow your heads for a moment, please, and I just, we can be, be still for just a moment.